And you are dismissed, young people. Let's take our Bibles, please. Turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. All right. While the young people are quietly dismissing themselves, I'll go ahead and give you one more announcement. Two weeks from today, September the 18th, we will all meet, our adults will meet in here for Sunday school. So from teenagers and up, youth group and up, we will meet in here for Sunday school. We have a missionary by the name of Josiah Coates on his way to Quebec, and he'll be with us that day, and he'll be presenting his ministry during the Sunday school hour and teaching us from the Word of God. So let's all meet in here, adults, and then the young people, children, uh, uh, kindergarten through grade six, will meet in their Sunday school class, uh, and we will have Mrs. Coates teach them. All right, so Mrs. Coates went to school and graduated with Brad Vogel from West Coast Baptist College. So uh, she'll be, they'll be staying with the Vogels that weekend and catching up on some uh, memories, I'm sure. Well, that's September the 18th, so don't forget to mark that in your minds and in your calendars. And Sunday School Teachers, Connection Group Leaders, please remind your group of that. Luke chapter 18 this morning. Luke chapter 18. We're going to look at the doctrine of justification justified justified tonight i told you that daniel will be singing in a trio he's singing with justin and calvin and they're singing a song justified is that right is that the song tonight justified never sinned and a great great old kind of a southern song with a good harmony to it justified what does it mean here's what i've learned through studying out some of these doctrines and we will look at some of the scriptural passages today we'll look in the book of romans Romans can often be a difficult chapter. As a matter of fact, we just sang, we just sang that song, Oh, the love of my Redeemer. I don't know if you noticed, but all five of those verses come from Romans chapter 8. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. And all those verses are based on Romans chapter 8 from that great hymn that we just sang. Romans can be a difficult chapter, though, or a difficult book. And other books as well. The book of James we'll look at this morning. But here's what I've learned about this doctrine of justification The Lord Jesus Christ spoke about it in Luke chapter 18. And the Lord Jesus has such a way about him that he makes it sound so simple. That's the great thing about Jesus. Uh, Man often takes things and we blow them up and we twist them and we turn them. And there's been debates over doctrine for years. And here's what Jesus said to a man named Nicodemus who came to him and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and he talked about all the things of the law, and Jesus just said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus had a way of boiling things down and putting it into terms that we could understand and apply to our lives. And so this morning, let's look at Luke chapter 18. We'll start there, and we'll look at this doctrine of justification. And by the way, if you're saved today, truly saved, you know Jesus Christ, you are born again, You have been justified. You say, I don't remember when that happened. It happened the moment you got saved. The word justified means to be declared righteous. You say, what does righteous mean? I I put it this way. Righteous means to be right with God. To be declared innocent. Justified. Sometimes we hear of a court case. Somebody has uh, hurt somebody or killed somebody, and we find out, and we, we look at that, we see them on the news being carried off into the police car and taken to jail, and then they'll stand trial, and we find out later on that perhaps it was an act of self-defense. Perhaps that person that was hurt or died had broken into their home and was threatening their family, and so the dad got up and he acted 
force meeting force, and, and he took care of that intruder, and perhaps he injured him, or, or perhaps he even died in the defense of his own family, and the court will come out, and they'll say his actions were justified. Justified. That's what this word justified means. Somehow our slate is wiped clean. Now here's what I know. Humanly speaking, my sin is never justified. I have no reason. There's no good excuse I can give. I cannot say when I sin against the holy God that that it is justified, except it has been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he has declared me justified. And so let's look what Jesus Christ says about it today in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Are you with me this morning? Okay, good. It sounds like some of you are asleep today. It just kind of feels quiet in here. And uh, maybe our rowdy ones went camping. That's where everybody went, by the way. You look around and see holes in the auditorium. There's a whole group that went camping this weekend for the holiday weekend. And uh, I, need you to, I need you to pick up the noise, all right? And uh, be a little bit louder. Because uh, sometimes, I'm going to be honest with you, preachers go off feedback. And if I, if I see you with your head down like this, I'll think, okay, he's done. But if I see you're engaged and listening and, and there's a little bit of feedback, uh, we'll, we'll know that we're, we're hitting home, okay? Luke chapter 18, look, if you will, in verse 9. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. And he, Jesus Christ, spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And they took it a step further. Look what it says next. And despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto the heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. Lord, sometimes we, we get nervous about these big biblical words of doctrine and theology. But I pray that you'd help us to understand the wonderful truth that lies behind justification. Help each of us to understand that we are justified in the sight of God because of the blood of Jesus Christ paying the price for our sins. And perhaps there's one here today that has never trusted Christ. They believe that he exists. They know him to be real. But they've never reached out by faith and trusted Jesus Christ to save their souls. They've never been born again. And I pray that today the Holy Spirit of God would speak to their hearts and begin that transaction, Lord, that they would cry out in faith and 
it, the work would be completed in their life and they'd be gloriously saved today. So Lord, help us, Lord, as we look to the word of God, that the spirit of God may teach us and help us. Lord, I need your help desperately and I pray that you'd fill me today. We'll thank you in Jesus' name, amen. If I were to turn right now even to Romans chapter 2 and Romans chapter 3 and Romans chapter 4 and read about justification by faith, it, it could come quite confusing very quickly. The book of James gives us a passage in James chapter 2 that also is about justification, but it almost sounds contradictory. We'll look at that later on. Here's what the entire Reformation was based on. The just... The justified shall live by faith. If you are justified before God today, it is because you have faith in Christ Jesus. But I think if we were to read those passages right now and then turn back to Luke chapter 18 and read these few verses again, you'd say, boy, Jesus makes it so much simpler, doesn't he? As we look at this passage, I want to break it down a little bit this morning and notice, first of all, the crowd. The crowd that is he addressing in verse 9, it says, And he spake this parable unto who? Certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. The Lord Jesus Christ addresses a crowd, and as, as he's ministering and preaching and teaching the word of God to the people that are following him, he begins to notice those that are there, perhaps it was a crowd full of Pharisees. Perhaps it was religious people that were holding on to those things that they did to impress God. More than that, though, Jesus Christ, of course, knew their hearts. And as he looked across this crowd, he knew right away this was a, a group of people that had been depending upon their own works. This is a group of people that are trying to impress God with how self-righteous they are. And so he goes into a parable, and we see the, the crowd was a self-roaches crowd, and then we see he introduces some characters in verse nine, or 10. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. I don't even have to try for alliteration, do I? We have a Pharisee and we have a publican. The Pharisee would identify well with this crowd, for he too was self-righteous. The publican was likely a Jewish man. A publican in the days of the Lord Jesus Christ was a Roman soldier often who was promoted to the equestrian rank. That just simply means he was able to ride a horse rather than march. And from those of the equestrian rank, they would choose publicans or tax collectors to go into different countries of the Roman Empire and oversee the collection of taxes for the crown. They were given the rank of equestrian not because they could not march or not because it was more important to ride a horse, but simply so they could sit above the people and look down upon them. You could see the publicans coming. And as these publicans were sent off into the far reaches of the Roman Empire, these of the Roman soldier equestrian rank, they would appoint local citizens to do their dirty work for you, for them. We're reminded of Zacchaeus, a publican. We're reminded of Matthew, the tax collector, the, the disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ who sat at the gate collecting taxes or customs. They did that for the Roman Empire. Now think about this. This man that the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking about in this parable was likely then a Jewish man because he did go into the tabernacle or the temple to pray. 
He was there at the hour of prayer and he confessing his faults before God and reaching out to God. So no doubt he was a Jewish man. That means he was doubly hated by the people. One, they hated tax collectors. But two, they hated a Jewish person who was considered a traitor who worked for the Roman government. Those are the characters in the story of Pharisee and a publican. But I want you to notice, not only do we see the characters that the Lord Jesus Christ is Uh, presents to us we see a comparison made in verse 11 we see the meat of the story begin to develop for us the bible says the pharisee stood and prayed thus notice how he prayed with himself in other words god did not hear this prayer he was just praying to be heard he was praying to impress others He was puffing himself up. His prayer did not reach heaven. It was not in the name of Jesus Christ. It did have no impact on God except for Jesus in the flesh who was standing and listening. He says there was a publican. Sorry, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that is. The Pharisee simply compared himself to others. His standard was, am I as good or better than those around me? That's the only standard that he had. He walked into the temple that day or into the local synagogue, wherever Jesus is speaking of, and he looked around He said, I thank God I'm not like him. I thank God I'm not like her. I'm glad I'm not like this publican. Lord, there's an extortioner here. Lord, there's a sinner over here. Lord, there's a cheat, a thief, a murderer. I'm so glad I'm not like any of them. His standard was to compare himself to others and simply, am I better than anybody else? Here's the truth today, folks. If you have any pride in your life whatsoever, you'll always find somebody that you think you're better than. I didn't say you are better than them, but you'll think you are. That's what pride does. And that's what this Pharisee had in a lot of. He had a lot of pride in his life. And so his standard is, am I good or better than those around me? His morality, listen, his morality is based upon what society accepts. Notice he did not quote the law of God. He did not say, I must be justified by faith. For the Bible says, even in the days of Abraham, his faith was imputed unto him for righteousness. He he didn't talk about faith. His morality was based on a set of rules that society thought were wrong. Boy, do we ever live in that day, don't we? We we, we live in such a terrible day. Years ago, I remember, this is over about 25 years ago now, there was a Catholic school in in, uh, Oakville, and it came time for their prom at the end of the year. And they refused a young man bringing a boyfriend as a date. They said, no, that's, that's against our rules. We're a, we're a Catholic school. We don't allow that. And a lady came out of the newspaper and said that they were morally wrong. In other words, 
She says, this is what society accepts, and so that is what morality is. We've come a long way since then, haven't we? It is an absolute mess today. I was thankful today, this week, we had a family come in to talk to us about the school, and they drilled me. They said, what is your definition of marriage? How many genders are there? And I said, in the beginning, God created male and female. He created them. That's who he created. And they drilled me. And, they're, and what they were basically what they were revealing from their hearts is, we've seen other Christian schools that don't believe that. And we want to make sure if we put our kids here, they're going to get the truth. Morality today has become relative. And that was what was going on with this Pharisee. He's like, Lord, I've kept all these rules. These are the ones I think are important. And so I'm able to meet my own standard. Friend, here's the funny thing. You'll never have a problem meeting your own standard. Because you'll just keep moving it. Because anything we do, we think is okay. But that's not the standard. Morality is always based and rooted in the word of God. Notice the third thing we see about this man. His standard is, am I as good or better than those around me? His morality is based upon what society accepts. But his spirituality is based upon what he does for God. How spiritual am I is based upon what I do for God. Notice what he says in verse 11. In verse 11, or verse 12, I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Number one, fasting was to be secret. And yet he pronounced it out loud. But what he is saying is, I am good with God because of all the things I do. There's no doubt that there would be some in that room, in that synagogue or in that temple place, where this Pharisee is praying that would applaud him. Look at all he does. This is a leader. This Pharisee is a a man among men. He ties and he fasts and he's not guilty of the, the moral things of this world and we can look up to him. His spirituality was based upon what he did for God, not upon what God did for him. Now look at the other comparison we see here. We see, first of all, the Pharisee, but notice the publican. The publican saw himself in comparison to God. The Bible says in verse 13, And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. When the Bible says the publican stood afar off, it's not real clear what that means. But I have an idea what it means. It means he didn't dare get near the Holy of Holies. He didn't go where the Pharisees were praying. He didn't go near the altar of sacrifice. He said, I'm just not worthy to go near where God is. There was a humility in his life. That says, I can't approach God with my sin. And so we see some things about him as well. His standard is, I'm ashamed to approach a holy God in my condition. I'm so thankful that the Bible says I can go boldly to the throne of grace. That I can go to him in my sin and my shame and I can find grace and mercy to help in the time of need. But I also know that when I have sinned, 
I do know that I am not worthy. And I do know that it is difficult for me to look God eye to eye. And this publican knew the same thing. We notice, secondly, that his morality was based upon what God accepts. I think if this publican were standing in the back of the room and had a checklist, he might be able to say, well, I've never murdered anybody. I've never stole. I'm not an extortioner. Maybe as a tax collector, they would have thought he was a thief. But he could have checked maybe those same boxes as the, public, as the Pharisee. And yet it wasn't good enough in his mind. Because morality is not based on what man accepts, it's based on what God accepts. He did not give us a laundry list of things that he had done wrong. He did not say, I broke this law or this law. He just simply says this. He smote upon his breast saying, God... Be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. His morality was based upon what God accepts. He understood that all have sinned and fallen short. We're all lost without Christ. That in the presence of a holy God, there's none that doeth good. And he understood that. But his spirituality is based upon what he whether or not he can find forgiveness from God. Notice he's pleading with God for mercy. Often the world's spirituality is, I'm not as bad as that guy. I go to church, I teach a Sunday school class. I'm called a Christian. But the publican would claim nothing but the mercy of God, for he was a sinner. And notice what Jesus says. I tell you, verse 14, this man went down to his house justified. Justified. Rather than the other, for everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Let me give you the fourth thing this morning, the conclusion. He said, it's only 11.30. Hold on, we're not done. The conclusion. Here we have two men, one exalting himself, the other humbling himself. One declaring his superior morality, the other declaring his sinful condition. We have one that says, I am religious and do good works for God. The other who says, I'm lost and I need God. And he's the one that was justified. What is justification? I want you to notice, first of all, justification is this. It is to be declared righteous. Declared. Listen, if you're taking notes today, Put three underlines under the word declared. The Pharisee tried to declare himself righteous. That's what was going on, wasn't it? Lord, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I'm religious, I'm religious, I'm religious, I'm religious. I tithe, I fast. Here's all the things I do, here's all the things I don't. I'm a good man. 
And he was declaring himself righteous before God. But you cannot declare yourself righteous. The word justification is a judicial term. That means a judge has to declare what is innocent and what is guilty. A judge has to declare what is right and what is wrong. And in this man's life, it was the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible calls the righteous judge of this world, who declared this man to be justified. It is a declaration that has to be made over your life, and it can only be made when you trust Jesus Christ to save you from your sins and to forgive you. When you, like this publican, beat your breast and say, God, forgive me for I'm a sinner. Then you can be justified. It means to be declared righteous. Another must do the declaring. Turn, if you will, to Romans chapter 3 this morning. We're going to get in a little bit to the doctrine of this all. I'm so glad that Jesus made it so simple. But I want to just share a couple things with you from the, from the Apostle Paul and from James. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. To be justified is to be declared righteous by God. Now look, if you will, at verse 19. Romans 3.19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. You see, why is the law important today? You see, we're not under the law, but we're under grace, but the law tells us we're sinners. Here's why we're under grace. Here's why we're under a New Testament economy because we couldn't keep the old. We, we could not obey all the rules. We could not please the holy God. And so the Old Testament reveals to us, just like all the characters of the Old Testament, they were sinners and we're sinners. We cannot keep the law. And the Bible says in verse 19, we're all guilty before God. 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. He said, well, I can just keep the law then and I'll be justified. It doesn't work that way because we're all inherently sinful. Romans chapter 5 says, as by one man sin entered the world and death by sin. We all have Adam's nature. We're all sinners just saved by grace. For the law is the knowledge of sin. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. So here comes the New Testament. Here comes Jesus being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned. Whether you're born at the time of Abraham or whether you're born today, we've all sinned. For all have sinned, whether we're under the age of law or we're under the age of grace, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely, by his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Propitiation means the sacrifice. Through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God to declare, listen, to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ was declared righteous. And because we are in Christ Jesus, God will also declare us righteous. Justified 
by faith in Jesus Christ. You see, this relationship does more than just set you on a path to heaven. It cleanses your life of sin. It makes you fit for the kingdom of God. It's supposed to change you and make you born again. Justified is to be declared righteous. Number two, this is important, listen. It is by divine favor. It is by divine favor. Let me put it this way. Not of works, lest any man should boast. It is grace. That's what divine favor is. Grace. God's gifting in our lives. A gift is free. Yesterday, I, I found a, a, a baby gift in my office. It said, Theo. And, and so I put it in the car. My daughter went down to see Emily yesterday and spent the weekend with her. And so I sent that gift down. It didn't cost me a thing. The gift was given. I don't know who it was from because I didn't open the card. Emily will do that when she receives the gift. And she'll look at that. But that gift was free. It was from the, the blessing of somebody else. And that's what salvation is. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And justification is part of that gift. It is all of grace. Turn to Romans chapter 4, just over a page. In your Bibles, it is by divine favor. So justified or justification is to be declared righteous, but it is by divine favor. Divine favor, it is a gift of God. Romans chapter 4, verse 1. What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of dead. So if, you're, if, you're, if you think you can work, if you're that Pharisee, you know what that Pharisee was saying when he stood, stood up there in that temple that day? God, you owe me. I am this good in my morality, and I am this religious in my behavior. And because of that, you should justify me. I am good enough to go to heaven. The publican instead threw himself on the mercy of God. And the Bible says in verse 4 of chapter 4, No, to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. You'll think God owes you something. But no, it's all of grace. Verse 5, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man on whom God imputeth righteousness without works. The word imputeth means to grant or to give or to declare. Verse 7, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Justified means to be declared righteous, but it's only by divine favor. You cannot do it yourself. Let me ask you today. I, I, when, I, when I set out this morning, I, I never necessarily said, well, I'm going to preach a salvation message this morning. But understand this, anytime we open the word of God, the gospel can be there and it can be presented. The Bible from cover to cover presents the miraculous saving power of Jesus Christ. I, I just wanted to talk to you about justification, but we cannot separate it from salvation in Christ Jesus. 
And maybe today you're saying, I, 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 th- I think I'm okay with God. I am right. No, no, that is self-righteousness. And the Bible says all of our righteousness is but filthy rags in the sight of God. We must claim the righteousness of Jesus Christ that comes only through trusting in him by faith. Abraham was declared righteous because his faith was in God. I want to show you one more thing this morning. We're talking about the conclusion of the Lord Jesus Christ and his parable. Justified is to be declared righteous, and to be justified, we understand it is by divine favor. Number three, to be justified is to have a displayed faith or a demonstrated faith. Turn to James. Now, here's a passage that if you lay it beside Romans 4, it can confuse you. And so we have to decipher and be very careful with it this morning to understand what James is saying. James chapter 2. I'm not going to shy away from it. We're going to attack it, all right? James chapter 2. And here, here's the thing. He talks about Abraham. He even quotes the same, same scripture that Paul does in Romans. James chapter 2. Now look, if you will, at verse 20. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works? Wait a minute. Didn't Romans just say he was justified by faith? Now James says he's justified by works. That's why we never take one verse out of context. We have to read the whole passage. Read on. Will not Abraham our father, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. The exact same verse that Romans quotes, Paul quotes in Romans. And he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. He said, boy, that sounds very different than Romans chapter 4. It sounds like we can be justified by our works. Understand the context of what he is saying. And we go back to one central verse here. Verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. Let me ask you something about Abraham. If God said to Abraham, 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 Take now thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and he saddled his ass. And he claved the wood for a fire, and he took his son. The Bible says he obeyed. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 that Abraham believed that God would raise up his son from the dead even if he let him sacrifice. He believed that. 
Now, what if Genesis chapter 32 or Genesis chapter 22 turned out very differently? What if God said, Abraham, Abraham, take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee in the land of Moriah and offer him there upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham said, I believe it, Lord. I believe with all my heart I could go to Moriah and I could sacrifice my son and that you would raise him up from the dead even if I went through with it. I believe it. And so because I believe it, there's no need to carry it out. There's no need to do it. I'm I'm professing my faith to you today. I'm telling you that I believe. What would you say about Abraham's faith? It's dead. Because it had no works to back it up. Years ago, we did a school trip. And we went to the Ripley's Aquarium. We took the kids to the aquarium in Toronto. And when we were done, or before we went, I can't remember which order, it doesn't matter, we went to the CN Tower. And we got this group rate where you got a, we got a package of you know, the CN Tower and the aquarium all together. And so we took the kids and we did that trip. And we got up there, and they have a glass floor. Have you seen that? You've been up there? And I mean, you're on the, it's not anymore, but it was for the longest time, the highest tower on earth. And you could look down, and I mean, it is death-defying. And, and I, I don't think I'm scared of dying. I'm scared of limping away. I'd rather die than, than be maimed, you know what I mean? But you look at that, and there was a, a guide up there, and he was a big guy, and he jumped up and down on that glass. He was slamming his feet, jumping up and down. He says, this is strong enough to hold 16 elephants. And there was about eight times I went like this. Ugh. I could not do it. People put their babies on it, and they were crawling, and they were taking pictures like they were floating in the sky. I thought, what, are you nuts? He was jumping on it. He said it would hold 16 elephants, and I still could not. If you were to say to me, do you believe it would hold you? I'd say, oh, yeah, I believe it. You'd say, then prove it. I ain't going on that. Now, since then, I went out on that because I went up with Calvin Allen in the quartet, and they were calling me a chicken, so I went out on it. Nobody going to call me a chicken, Amen. So I finally got the courage and went out there. Jeff Schultz would not go out on it. If Jeff comes and sings again, you tease him about that. He had no courage to go out on that glass. Anyway, I've since been out on it. But I I said, yeah, I believe it'll hold me. The guy's jumping on it. He was a big guy, too. (laughs) It'll hold 16 elephants. says so right there on the sign. I believed it. What if Peter said, Yeah, Lord, I believe I can walk on the water, but I'm staying right here. What would you say about his faith? See, faith without works is dead. Obedience is the demonstration of our faith. It is not the works that save you, and it is not the works that impress God, but it is the works that proves our faith. Now, we're not talking about the same kind of works that you might do in the church. You might say, well, I'm I'm an usher. I'm a nursery worker. We thank God for workers, and we thank God for those who work in the church and serve. That's not the kind of works. The works we're talking about here is the demonstration of our faith. 
We're talking about obedience to God. Abraham went to that mountain, and when he raised that knife, the angel of the Lord stopped it. And what did he say to Abraham? Abraham, now I know that you believe me and that you will not withhold anything from me. His works proved his faith. Again, can't work your way to heaven. But we must be obedient. And we must trust God. And we prove it through our works. That's all James is saying. Your faith without works is dead. A lot of people say, well, I believe. I believe with all my heart that if I just told my loved one about Jesus that they might get saved. If you don't have the courage to do it, your faith is dead. That's the application I get from it. I believe that in times of recession, that, that God's going to supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. By the way, he does it in times of bounty as well. But I, I'm going to believe God. But if you're not trusting God daily for your daily bread, your faith is dead. You see, we, you, you, can, you can tell me you have faith or you can show me you have faith by your works. Who are the people in this life that we are most drawn to? The ones that we ask to pray for us? It's the ones where we can see their faith because of their works. Where the faith of God is lived out daily in their lives. And Jesus said, if you have that kind of faith, the Pharisee was so busy trying to impress God the publican says, I've got nothing that will impress anybody. I'm throwing myself on the mercy of Jesus. And Jesus says, if you've got that much faith, you're justified. We listened and saw a video today and listened to a song, This is How Love Wins, about a criminal on a cross. Do you remember what he said? All he said was, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's it. Wasn't the prayer he prayed? He wasn't baptized. But Jesus that moment declared him righteous. Justified. And all he did was look to the middle cross. Look to Jesus. And say, God help me. Previous to that, the other criminal was mocking him. And that criminal says, the one that said, remember me, he said, we're here because we deserve to be here, but not this man. Lord, remember me. He recognized his sin before a holy God and just turned to Jesus and was justified. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment this morning. Let me ask you, why are we preaching a doctrinal message this morning? Here's why. I think sometimes, I, I, I love coming to church and rejoicing in salvation. I really do. That song, This Is How Love Wins This Morning, I was choking up. A lot of, 
songs move my heart. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. That he would send his holy son to make this wretch his treasure. It stirs my heart. But I think we need to take the time to understand not just that I'm saved, but all the things that Christ accomplished in my life when I got saved. And one of them is that I was declared righteous, fit to stand before God. My sins have been washed away because I threw myself on the mercy of the one who could save me, Jesus Christ. And so my plea to you today, child of God, is rejoice in your justification. Rejoice in the fact that when God looks upon you and Satan accuses and says, this guy is nothing but a rotten sinner, God says, what sins are you talking about? I see my son. I see him clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. I see him washed in the blood of the Lamb. You ask me why I'm happy? I'll just tell you why. My sins are gone. They're underneath the blood on the cross of Calvary, as far removed as darkness is from dawn. In the sea of God's forgetfulness, that's good enough for me. Praise God, my sins are gone. That's what God sees. Because you're justified, declared righteous by the judge of this world because of what Jesus Christ did for you. Let's stand this morning and let's give thanks. Let's give praise today for what Christ has done. There's so many other words we could. He redeemed you, He sanctified you, justified, and one day He'll glorify. Let's praise him for a wonderful justification today. Declared righteous. But maybe there's one here today who say, I, I've been leaning on all those things like the Pharisee. I, I think I'm pretty good. I compare myself to the world. That's, that's not the standard. Problem is that's a sliding scale too. As the world gets worse, you'll think you're better and better. Spiritually, I'm doing pretty good. I go to church. I pray, I tithe, I fast. May we learn a lesson from this publican to throw ourselves on the mercy of God. There's one here today say, Preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not justified because I've never trusted Jesus Christ. Could we help you today? Would you slip up your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you. I promise you that. I won't call it your name. Is there one? Would you pray for me?